Hello, baby, and welcome. This is the Derek Hunter Show for August 18th. Can you believe it's the year 2023? I would have expected the hover cars by now. This is the 21st century, but we made it through such disappointments as that, just as you made it through this week. So pat yourself on the back, pour yourself an adult beverage, loosen your belt, and put on your lounging hat because Saturday is just hours away. Last call here means happy hour for all of you. I am your guest host, Dean Carianis, columnist for the New York Sun, host of the History Author Show, longtime staffer for Rush Limbaugh, recovering Fox News Channel producer, and debonair man about town. Yes, I can hear all of my friends, including Derek, shouting at their radios or whatever we use for listening devices these days, saying, but Dean, you never leave your writing shed. Shh, this is an audio medium. Don't tell people that. Nobody can see where I am. You're all like Anne's brain in 1983's The Man with Two Brains, when Steve Martin takes her and puts her in the back of a closet and they're communicating telepathically. He tells her she's in a far more beautiful setting. Well, I hope that's where you are right now. My setting is made more beautiful by the fact that I'm able to speak to all of you. And if you've never seen that film or it's been a while since you had the pleasure of watching it, Let me give you a little taste here. I want to start you off with something fun on Friday and something to make you smile amid all the reasons to frown that you find in media everywhere. In this scene, Steve Martin's character, who is a renowned brain surgeon, is trying to save Kathleen Turner, his wife, his gold-digging wife, as it happens, because we were still allowed to have bad female characters in movies back then. She's lying unconscious in the street. A little girl is watching from the sidewalk, and Steve Martin runs over to her for help. Little girl? Yes, sir. I want you to do something very important, all right? Okay. I want you to run home, and I want you to call the ER of North Bank General Hospital, 932-1000. Tell them to set up OR6 immediately and contact anesthesiologist Isadora Turek, 472-2112, beep 12. Have them send an ambulance with a paramedic crew, light IV, D5 and W, KBO. You got it? ER, North Bank, General Hospital, 932,000, set. OR6 contact. Anesthesiologist is to work. 472-211-TB12. Ambulance with Paramex and Lavi, D5 and WKVL. That's good. Sounds like a subdural hematoma to me. Oh, it does, does it? Well, it's not your job to diagnose. But I thought... You thought, you thought, just go! Three years of nursery school, you think you know it all, but you're still wet behind the ears. It's not a subdural hematoma, it's epidural. Ha! I'll tell you, I'm just as impressed now with that kid as I was then. <laughs> she was able to rattle off that whole monologue. If you want something to watch this weekend, why not check out The Man with Two Brains? And speaking of brains and weekends, you are just a little while away from Derek dropping the weekend effing review, which can arrive in your inbox when the clock strikes midnight tonight, but only... If you support the show at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast, you can also keep the good times rolling here by supporting the show at DerekHunter.locals.com. And while you have your digital wallets out, if you've enjoyed the hash I've been slinging this week, become a reader at the New York Sun. You can do that for just a penny a day at nysun.com slash mug. That's where I send you. You can subscribe other places. But if you go there, nysun.com slash mug, you get that rockin' New York Sun mug that I've been talking about all week. And admit it, you want that in your cabinet. You opened your kitchen cabinet today and something was missing. That's what it was, a New York Sun mug. Plus, you get a lot of great journalism and commentary. You get what I am told is my unique blend of pop culture, history, and political knowledge all wrapped into one in my columns. And there's lots of other great reporting being done there, great journalism. Even I, friends, believe it or not, me writing in my writing shed sometimes submit pieces for the culture section in the New York Sun. First up, President Biden is still pushing this fiction that he cut the deficit, which means the national deficit, which in reality stands at $32 trillion and climbing. This is not the same as the national debt. Yet Mr. Biden likes to use those two terms interchangeably, and he does it deliberately to blur the meaning between the two. Words mean things, or at least they used to. This is the president on Tuesday in Milwaukee. And unlike the last president, in my first two years in office, even with all we've done, I'm the first one to cut the federal debt by $1,700,000,000,000. trillion dollars cut. 
And on Wednesday, Mr. Biden was at it again. Notice how he keeps saying debt, and then it'll sound as if he's correcting himself and say deficit. He's trying to confuse people. I have no doubt he's confused himself, but he's confusing these things deliberately, and he's making the false thing sound like the correction. We actually cut the federal debt, the deficit, by $1.7 trillion. Hear me? The first two years, we cut the debt. I wrote about this in the New York Sun. It was a column that didn't whine. I talked about whining in an earlier show, whining about the Trump indictments, people whining as if, oh, this is horrible for America, Donald Trump, when they're secretly really gleeful, sometimes not so secretly. My headline in the Sun in February was, he was doing this, President Biden, way back in February. He never stops doing it. Nobody holds him to account. Where's the demand that Biden stopped George Santosing about the national debt? What George W. Bush called fuzzy math is just another way of avoiding the truth. See here, Santos is a negative. He's been made infamous. He's done that to himself, but the focus has very much been turned on him. And with a narrow majority, you can't blame Democrats for trying to capture this guy's seat and use this guy against all the Republicans. It's what they do. Republicans should be ready for it, and they should be ready to turn it around. This is just strategic. It's not even a partisan thing. This is what you do. My opening sentence is this. America is on track to hit the debt ceiling as soon as this summer. That's right now. Yet President Biden keeps bragging about having cut the debt amid a bipartisan chorus demanding that the Republican congressman from New York, George Santos, be punished for lying about his record. Why the silence on Mr. Biden misleading citizens about the nation's financial health? The Bipartisan Policy Center, I said, projected that we could hit the X date, the debt limit, as soon as summer, which is right now, or early fall of this year. Biden not only denies that reality, he uses this verbal origami to fold it into a more pleasing shape. And I quoted him here in The Sun. We've reduced the national debt $1.7 trillion in two years. He repeated the same figure in his State of the Union address, calling it the largest deficit reduction in American history. At a speech to a union, he did the same thing. He said, Republicans are not going to pay down the national debt, which took 200 years to accumulate. This is not the debt this year or last year. We cut the debt by 1.7 in the last two years. He is indeed the president, Mr. Biden, talking about deficit reduction year over year while presenting that figure in a reduction of the national debt. He says it again and again, national debt deficit. It was $27.8 trillion when he took office, and it's now $31.6 trillion. That's an increase of more than $4 trillion, and now it being many months since I wrote that, it's even higher. It's now hit $32 trillion. Mr. Biden also told that union crowd that in 200 years, no president added more to the national debt than, guess who, the boogeyman, le orange menace, as I call them in my columns, Donald Trump. Even CNN poured cold water on this and reported, this claim is false. More debt was added in the eight years under President Barack Obama with Biden as vice president than in the four years under Trump. But don't let a little thing like facts get in the way of President Biden. He's happily willing to conflate the annual budget deficits from the final year of the pandemic with the national debt. People don't follow numbers. I mentioned that the other day on radio. Russia always said numbers are confusing. They're hard to follow. Well, Biden's hard to follow anyway. And when he says these things with such confidence, people believe it. He's the president. He's got the seal and everything. He's in the White House. But on this, he's the equivalent of a husband who assures his wife that while he charged up $60,000 in Vegas last year, he'll blow just $50,000 in 2023. That husband then calls it a $10,000 cut, even though the couple is still on the hook for ninety grand. And I'm sure you have heard a million items like that to prove the facts. But to me, this is something where facts and numbers are not the way to go at it. They're not the way to try to hit people. You need to document that he's lying, that he's not telling the truth, that he's deceiving, that he's wrong. Wrong is the weakest of those. But then you need to go and you need to link it back to this guy, George Santos. At least you did then. Santos is a little out of the news right now. Call him out on it. Call the guy's bluff. There's not one Republican in Congress who thinks to say next time there's complaints about the debt limit. Well, wait a minute. We don't need to raise the debt limit. Biden says he's reduced the deficit. He's reduced the national debt. He's reduced it by $1.7 trillion. He keeps saying it. If the debt is down, then we don't need to raise the debt ceiling. President Biden's this big deficit hawk and make it stick. You've cut the deficit. You don't need a raise of the debt ceiling. Either that or you're lying and you're full of that stuff Bess Truman spent her whole life trying to get Harry to call manure. It can't be both things. I just wish we had more people in power, even in the media, 
certainly in conservative media, where they all seem to where they all seem to go on Twitter and find what they're going to say there after everyone else has already said the same thing. I wish we had some people who were going to lead, who would look at something like this and always see that seam in the defense, always see a way to hit that seam hard the next time that the whistle blows and get a few yards against the other party. That's what the other side does, and they do it really well. So next time you hear somebody mention that we need to raise the debt ceiling, some of you out there, if any of you are connected in Washington, suggest they just ask them, why do we need to raise the debt ceiling, Mr. President? You said you reduced the deficit, the national debt. See how far that gets you. But even if you don't get any yards when you hit that line, at least you're not on defense all the time. One more Biden bonus track to take you through the weekend, because I know you're going to miss hearing the dulcet tones of our commander in chief. There is no quit in America. Name me a single objective we've ever set out to accomplish that we've failed on. Name me one in all of our history. Not one. Okay, well, the random screaming is fun, always. What's with the inability to modulate his voice and the anger and the shouting and the nastiness and the bullying? This is not a good thing for the country. This is not the kind of person, the temperament. This is another one of those things only seems to apply one way, but this is not the presidential temperament. You only usually hear that about Republicans too. But does this guy have a presidential temperament with that petulance and that yelling and the threatening physical violence going to beat this one up? He's got a chain. He's going to beat up corn pop. He was a bad dude. This is what we want in our president. Can we ask for something better than the people that we have running our government? I know we only get two options. At this point, it might be worth giving Cornell West a look. At least I certainly want to see that guy in the debates. I want the whole system shaken up from top to bottom. And speaking of President Biden's uncomfortable relationship with the truth, his George Santosing, and by the way, a freshman congressman in the lower house of Congress, who's a backbencher, telling lies, inflating his resume, making up accomplishments out of whole cloth, really pales in comparison to a guy who is the president of the United States, the head of the executive branch. I think it would be much more effective to go after President Biden on that. The nation has changed, though. The same nation that denied then-Senator Biden the Democratic presidential nomination in 1988 and forced him out of the race for lying about his record and for not just plagiarizing the British MP, Neil Kennock, but copying whole details of his life. Very strange. It was as if he said, yeah, my parents got shot in an alley. No joke. Right in front of me. It's true. And then I became Batman. It was basically that kind of thing. He stole somebody else's origin story, did President Biden. Speaking of his Santosing and the way he can't seem to stop it, he told that Amtrak story yet again in Milwaukee. He's told this story so many times and he keeps telling it. And uh, so I'm getting on a train to go home and see my mom who was sick and in hospice at my home. <laughs> and this guy, I won't mention his name because I would get him in trouble, but one of the senior guys in Amtrak who I rode with all the time comes up and goes, Joey, baby, grabs my cheek. I said, what's the matter, Angie? He said, we just, I read this thing about a, over a million miles on Air Force planes. He said, hell, you know how many miles you travel on Amtrak? I said, no, Angie, I don't know. He said, we just had a retirement dinner up in Newark. He said, you traveled average 117 days a year, round trip, 300 miles a day, 36 years. That's 1,285,000 miles. I don't want to hear any more about the Air Force. <laughs> true story. I swear to God. That's so not true that even President Biden's supporters and friends in the media say it's not true. They're trying to help him. They are begging him to stop. They're trying to get the old man to stop with the silly lies, because it makes them harder to sell the lies that are serious, the lies that they want to sell. It makes it harder for them to craft a message when the guy is destroying his credibility. Here's host Victor Blackwell with correspondent Daniel, da with correspondent Daniel Dale on CNN talking about President Biden's inability to stop imagining up this fake story about Amtrak. True story. All right, what is the truth? It's not, a, it's not a true story, and it was false in 2021 when I did a fact check pointing out it was false then. President Biden has repeated it over and over since. So it's, it's false in two ways. First of all, th this conversation about the, the million miles, uh, flying milestone could not have happened because Mr. Negri 
who was an Amtrak conductor, was deceased at the time it would have had to occur. Uh, he passed that milestone, the vice president, uh, in September 2015. Mr. Negri died more than a year prior in 2014. The second false element, Victor, is, is uh, the president said that his mother uh, was sick at the time in hospice in his home. In fact, she had died more than five years prior to him reaching that million miles flown milestone on Air Force Two. So two false elements. Now, I did speak in 2021 to Mr. Negri's stepdaughter. She said they were indeed friends. Uh, uh, her late stepfather adored Mr. Biden, spoke of him often. So there was a relationship there. But look, we, I've counted at least nine times as president that Biden has told this story about his friend that is just inaccurate. So it's, it's probably time he retires it. Yeah, it seems like a favorite of his. The president also repeated a version of a, a family story he told in April about his grandfather's death being just days before his own birth at the same hospital. Let's listen to that. By the way, my grandpa Biden, who died very young, he was, died in the hospital I was born in six days before I was there, before I was born. This is an economy speech, by the way. I just want people to know why the president is there. What can you tell us about this? So this one is also false in two ways. Uh, his late grandfather, who was an oil executive, uh, Joseph H. Biden, died more than a year before he was born. Uh, so not a few days or a couple weeks, as he's previously said. And in a different hospital, his his uh, late grandfather died in Baltimore. Uh, president Biden was famously born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I have no idea why what the point of this false claim is uh, you know sometimes people get false stories from family members but it's the second time he's done it he was fact-checked the first time so again it's time he stops yeah I retire that one too he should retire it wow that is kid gloves of kid gloves they made kid gloves that phrase comes from using the soft soft goat skin from the kids from the young goats very soft gently massaging president biden that's an awful, you know, that's an awful nice way to put it. The story's not true. That's even not strong enough. We know it's a lie now. He's been told this is a lie. And CNN knows people aren't buying this anymore. Every time you bring it up, we have to cover for you and we're tired of it. It's too painful for them to say that he's lying here, but they want him to stop. They're telling him you've gotten all the mileage out of this particular made up story you can. The scary question is, what if the president doesn't know what's real and imaginary anymore? When you tell certain lies so often, you start to believe them. It's the Mandela effect where you believe something that never happened did happen. You believe you experienced something that you never experienced. And that's an appropriate thing to raise, the Mandela effect, because President Biden said he was arrested trying to visit Nelson Mandela in prison when that never, ever happened either. I personally don't believe it's very effective to say the president doesn't know what's going on, to say that he's senile, to say all those nasty things that they said about President Reagan when, gosh, if that was senile, we could use some more senile presidents. I don't think it's effective, and I think it excuses it. And it lets Republicans tell themselves, well, this old guy is falling apart, and we can beat him easy. Well, I'll tell you something. If President Biden is all the things Republicans say about him, he's still handing them their lunch. They need to focus on policy. They need to focus on seizing when he does these things that he does and says these false things that he says. Seized, one of my favorite words. Republicans are always seizing. Why must they seize? You always see that in headlines. Republicans seize. Sure, sure. President Biden does something wrong. Why would you seize on it? Why would you jump on it? Why wouldn't you just leave it alone? If I ever had my own radio show of this kind, I think I would have something called the Daily Seize. What are Republicans seizing today? If you say falsehoods about a silly thing like Amtrak, you tell them, how can we trust your word on anything else, Mr. President? They need to be on him the way that he is on them all the time. I don't even know if we have an opposition party anymore the way that we used to. Let's talk about serious issues. They don't seem to want to do that. And to use a word from Washington, that is unfortunate. There's probably stronger words for that. Maybe Derek will get around to using them in the week in and Review. If you didn't listen to Tuesday's show, I don't want you to feel left out. So I'll just sit here and wait until you go back and listen to Tuesday's show. I'm waiting. Go ahead. It's fine. Okay. Dead air. Rush always said a little dead air never hurt anybody. So there, that dead air was my punchline. My dead air, I hope, is funnier than a lot of the stuff that passes for comedy these days. 
On Tuesday, I talked about the doubt that I know we all share in this audience about government and the trust put in it, the flawless characteristics that are applied to it, and how nobody in government ever pays a price for failures on the scale of 9-11 or the Afghanistan withdrawal. They just grow. They just get more money. They give each other awards. It's a great gig, I guess, if you can get it. The Maui fires was the example that I had Tuesday. And I mentioned that they'd only use that disaster as an excuse to amass more money, to push the climate change agenda. That's going to be what is to blame. All of us are to blame. The American way of life is to blame. It will never be anything possibly that they did. In fact, a bunch of people got enraged with ABC News because they put out a headline that said climate change is not to blame for these fires in Maui. And they talked about things like the grass I talked about on Tuesday, the invasive grass they brought in from Africa to feed livestock. And now there's no more livestock. So it spreads really fast and it gets very dry. It grows really well in dry conditions. It was the kindling for this fire. But you can't mention that. So ABC News, ABC News backed off. They changed their headline. That's some real gutsy journalism for you. I'll tell you, I had the MTA objecting to one of my columns, the New York City Transit Authority, the MTA, and they demanded the Sun take down my column. And the Sun said no. And I really felt good about that. I was proud of myself and I was really happy to know that the New York Sun had my back. You can go read that column if you want. I'm happy to correct things I'm wrong about, but we weren't about to yank something that was just my opinion that might not go with the MTA or anybody else for that matter. So the man who's emerging now as the focus of attention is the Hawaiian Department of Land and Natural Resources Deputy Director, M. Khalil Manuel. I don't know what the M stands for, but I'm sure you can imagine up some things at home for what the M means. We've now learned that this guy refused to release water to the people of Maui so that they could fight the flames. And this reflected an absolutely ludicrous philosophy, which he laid out and I don't think I could possibly summarize this. I could try, but it exceeds even my abilities to summarize. So I'm going to play this for you, but I warn you, do not try to follow this. This would be like following Smokey and the Bandit, following both of them. You're racing there behind Bandit, and then Smokey gets you. You won't do it. You're going to end up on the side of the road. You and I are neither Burt Reynolds, nor are we Buford T. Justice. So don't try to follow this guy. You will literally damage the delicate gray matter of your fertile brains. On the upside, I think I may have just found a new speechwriter for Vice President Harris. See what you think. The commission is responsible per, per our authorizing statute to protect and manage all water resources in the state. One water is like taking it and looking at it from a holistic system perspective. And that's not dif any different than how Hawaiians traditionally manage water. You know, in, in essence, we treated it, and Native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of a god and a kua kane. And so that reverence um, for a resource and that reciprocity in relationship was was something that was really, really important to our worldview and, and well-being, right? And living in an island in isolated from other, you know, civilizations. Um, and so I think where it shifted to today or over time is that we've become used to looking at water as like something which we use and not necessarily something that we revere as that thing that gives us life, right? I mean, to me, it's a shift in value set. Um, and, you know, if we can start to really look at how we as humans in an island um, can reconnect to that traditional value set. So really, my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. If I want a salad, I will eat a Greek salad. I do not need word salads, but this seems to be a world where everybody is opening their own salad bar for word salads. Or in Hawaii, it would be the plate lunch. That's the signature dish of that island state. It goes back to the 1880s when you had pineapple and sugar field hands mixing together the various cultural foods that they had. By the 1930s, you even had mobile meal services, the lunch wagons rolling around. Even this innocent little story has sometimes been turned into something anti-American. And there's this myth out there that they didn't want any of these cultural groups speaking their own language or interacting. So they made them eat separate. And then they combined this together. You hear it various ways told. But the bottom line, as usual, is always America is somehow terrible. And 
this country that's a melting pot that has welcomed and that continues to welcome every year more immigrants than any other culture in the world where everybody has been able to succeed in this country. Somehow it's a terrible, hostile, rotten place. So that's the myth of the plate lunch. And that's what that guy was serving up verbally, M. Khalil Manuel. Honolulu Civil Beat reports that Mr. Manuel delayed the release of water on August 8th, even after knowing that Western Maui was burning down as there was a longstanding dispute between his office and West Maui Land Company, which is responsible for managing agricultural and residential subdivisions in West Maui. So here we are. You are going to hear these fires blamed on climate change, which means American industry, which means corporations, which means big oil. But here we go, a government agency bigfooting this land company whose job it is to manage exactly where the fire was, to fight where the fires were. In fact, writes Honolulu Civil Beat, when the latter requested DLNR, that's that government agency, OEA, another acronym, to approve the emergency release of water to fight the fires, it was the deputy director, M. Calio Manuel, who went on a water standoff. This guy held the water back. There was literally a fire and you had some little government bureaucrat saying, no, you can't have it. I don't like you. Imagine you're one of those people in one of those cars that's been incinerated. And I'm sorry, I live in a blue state. I don't cotton to the idea of, hey, these people voted for that. Nobody votes to be incinerated. Some people are just wrong. People have the same attitude about oh, these deep red states. Well, they want it. They voted for it. They're stupid. People can just be wrong about things. We've all been wrong about things before. Nobody expects to pay the price in fire. So now it's up to people who understand how these things go, understand the government, understand that just giving some guy with a first name that's a letter or anybody else a job and a title and a little bit of power doesn't make them smart and all-knowing. The water was available. He cut it off. And I would hope that we would have some investigations here. There's no Republican Party to speak of in Hawaii. They still have some people who aren't completely down with the big government mentality, who don't believe government can solve every single problem. So I hope that they get into action, and I hope that they do this smartly. And I hope if anyone accuses them of politicizing it, they point right here to this M. Calio Manuel. Certainly, they should force him to reveal what the M stands for. I did a casual look. I could not find what the M stands for. Maybe it's for mystery. <laughs> There's a Greek word that I could say it stands for. It's muri. And muri is very similar to an English word. In fact, it's the root of it. If you want me to go all big fat Greek wedding on you, it sounds a lot like moran. You ever see people misspell it? It's moran. So maybe it's moran calio. This is a serious disaster. It's easy to make fun of this guy. But it's the power that people put in his hands. It's the trust that they put in the hands of government. I know this guy is just a little deputy at this office that probably nobody thinks of, but we should think of this. I spoke the other day about before you give a president you like power, like the Patriot Act, let's say. Before you give a president you like that power, imagine that same power being in the hands of the president you like least, of the president you trust least, because that's what happens. Never hand somebody a gun without being sure what they're going to do with it. You hand this guy a little bit of power, and now we're going to say, well, the government can fix this. The government is not nimble. It can't foresee every possible disaster that happens. At the core of this is making sure that the government understands that they are answerable to us. We hear so much talk about our democracy. That's become the new catchword. Supposedly, our democracy is hanging by a teeny tiny thread. Well, the basis of democracy is you listen to the people. Greeks invented democracy, right? People is right in there. Demos, people. That's who you're supposed to be serving and listening to. And I think every time you have someone like this, you need to remind them. You need to slap them down. And then they start spouting off all of these disjointed phrases. He reminded me of the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. And a lot of those things that he says, it's just these repeated phrases. It's just an unoriginal world. But these are men with real responsibilities on two ends of the country. And they're both failing to execute their jobs and they're not being held responsible. I saw someone tweet the other day, well, it's easy to blame the mayor. What are you talking about? First of all, your verb choice is blame. No one's blaming him. You hold the guy responsible. He asked for the job, didn't he? He was running against Curtis Sliwa as the Republican. If you're in New York City, you've probably seen him riding the subway. He spent his whole life 
out there without weapons <laughs> fighting criminals, just standing there, the guardian angels. If you've been in New York City, you saw them. You saw them in the worst days of the city, standing on street corners just by their presence, armed only with those red berets, just to try to discourage bad behavior. Just if someone grabbed a purse, they might risk and grab somebody. That, that was the most that they could do. So it's not blaming Eric Adams. It's not blaming Mr. M here. It's holding them responsible. They ask for the jobs. And I hope that that's something that we start to do more of. This is incredible to me that this guy did this. And I think we need to demand smarter people in office. It's something that I am certainly not seeing. I'm seeing a general dumbing down of the culture. It's something that Rush talked about that I was reminded of, as I often am. And he talked about this a few times at the end of his life. He was tired of having to defend dumb people. If somebody said something dumb or did something dumb or was inarticulate or was unable to make a point or didn't make a good point, he would go after them. This is something he's told a caller in January 2012. He said, you know how people are fed up with the Republicans having dumb people who can't talk? And he mentioned Newt Gingrich had sounded very smart. This was during the primaries. And he can spout things from history that roll off his tongue. Oh, wouldn't you like to be like Newt? He comes off as smart, and I can't tell you how much that matters to people on our side. They're sick and tired of people being nominated who can't put two sentences together or sound like Cowboy Billy Bob <laughs> Rush. at the time they're doing it. They're just fed up with it. They're tired of having to defend dumb. Well, everybody, as you know and I know, that's usually one of the charges made against Republicans. I knew a guy who ran for Congress and he said, you ever notice how Republicans can only be one of three things? They're either out of touch, they're evil, or they're dumb. It's up to us to vote for smarter people. And I know nobody, especially now, wants to go into that meat grinder, but maybe some smarter people need to run for office and try. It's great that we all tweet out cat videos. Yesterday, I tweeted out the Grinch because I was amused by the fact that the Grinch's heart grew and he was all happy and went and lived with the Who's in harmony. And then six years later, he was already sick of them again and bitter and came back with Halloween is Grinch night. <laughs> but So that's a funny little tweet. That's fun to do on Twitter. But we should also be confronting this kind of incompetence and using it as a teachable moment. And I know I mentioned about using a crisis. This is different. This is not using a crisis to make me rich or make me get more power. This is using a crisis to educate people and explain to them what happened there. And I just wish we had a voice in the Republican Party who could speak about this directly, who would come across as, like Rush said, somebody who was smart, somebody who could put two sentences together, somebody who could cite some things from history and who would persuade and would come at this from a place of love and caring and saying, I hate when this happens. Those people, those children, they didn't need to be burned up. And part of the reason that they did, if you're going to blame all these other things you say are to blame for it, is this reliance on government, is this empowering of government bureaucrats. That is very much, and I know we're going to see more of that in the coming days, be revealed about that. That is very much a central cause here. If that water had been released, they would have been able to fight the fires. They literally held back water. And I hope that the people that did this, in particular, Mr. M there, are held responsible and that we all reflect on it and we do a little better tomorrow. You have the entire ocean there and this guy's worshiping water and worried about water. Like he's Zan from the Wonder Twins. Those of you old enough to remember that cartoon from the 70s. Wonder Twin powers activate! Shape out and eagle! Form of water! Speaking of America and Hawaii and this whole, it's what they used to call the noble savage trope, this idealizing of pagan religions and of cultures that are anything but the American culture, native cultures, as they call them, quote unquote. Well, you want to talk about how water united the Hawaiian Islands? I've gone this full week without sharing much McKinley mania with you fine people. But since today's my last chance, let me bring this up because this is a column I wrote about them attempting to cancel President McKinley in Hawaii. And the subhead in the sun was, someone needs to rescue our 25th president from cancellation he doesn't deserve. This is Sunday, August 14th, 2022, when I wrote this, so it's almost exactly a year ago. President McKinley is being targeted for erasure by activists who, ignorant of his legacy or hostile to America, are calling to strip his name from a Honolulu high school. The honor, the Hawaiian Teachers Union claims, in support of the campaign, quote, glorifies a man who illegally annexed the country against the will of her queen and people. 
Now, for precedent, they point to a nearby middle school, which was just renamed for a princess who claimed to have been descended from House of King Kamehameha. If you visited the islands or watched Magnum P.I., you've heard of King Kamehameha I. That was the name of the club that Magnum's friend Rick managed. And his statue, King Kamehameha's, not Rick's, is one of Hawaii's two in the Capitol Statuary Hall in Washington, D.C. But King Kamehameha, in case the title King didn't tip you off, wasn't elected by islanders either. He conquered them. He did it by using that sacred water that binds the islands together and binds us all as fellow human beings. My gosh, I thought I was listening to a scene from Dune. All they needed to do was replace water with spice. They were on a desert planet, Arrakis, and they weren't as obsessed with water as this guy. But is anyone throwing King Kamehameha's statue into the dustbin of history and replacing it with, say, one of Native's son, President Obama? Robert W. Mary, the author of President McKinley, Architect of the American Century, told me in our History Author Show interview, the only reason to wish to do away with McKinley's name on anything is either through ignorance or through a feeling against America. Hawaii could not survive as an isolated kingdom in the 20th century as one of the most strategic spots on earth. The UK, Germany, and Spain all coveted it. Mr. Mary calls Hawaii an obsession for the Japanese empire. We know how expansionists they were who flooded it with columnists, (laughs) maybe I'll leave that one in, who flooded it with colonists, colonists, as Russia did Crimea before seizing it. Imagine Japan or Nazi Germany entrenched at Pearl Harbor in World War II, I wrote. With territorial status, McKinley prevented that nightmare. And they were very close. The Japanese empire was very, very close to seizing Hawaii when McKinley gave it territorial status. Quote, We're not a bad nation because we acquired Hawaii, Mr. Mary said, and we didn't acquire Hawaii because we were a bad nation. It was just a natural course of events. Ben Justison, author of Forgotten Legacy, William McKinley, George Henry White, and The Struggle for Black Equality, told me in our History Author Show interview, the renaming campaign makes it seem as if McKinley, he said, was somehow responsible for all of the events before his presidency that he certainly couldn't control. The overthrow of an unelected monarch, declaration of a republic, and so-called presidency of Sanford Dole in Hawaii all predated McKinley's election. Mr. Justison said, I think there are less historically thoughtless ways to handle it without tarnishing McKinley's legacy completely. It's this legacy that earned the school its name in 1907, six years after the president was gunned down. It wasn't intended as a fork in the eye of the natives. As historian Annette Gordon-Reed told the Harvard Gazette of similar campaigns against U.S. icons, no one puts a monument up to Washington or Jefferson to promote slavery. She added, quote, the monuments go up because without Washington, there likely would not have been an American nation, unquote. And without McKinley, there would not be a 50th state. At least it wouldn't be Hawaii. And since we wouldn't have checked the Japanese, there might not even have been a union for it to join in the late 1950s. A staunch abolitionist, McKinley enlisted in the Civil War at 18 and served all four years, including at Antietam, the bloodiest day in our history. Mr. Mary said, I weep for the poor people of Hawaii who wish to insult the memory of a good man such as William McKinley or the memory of America at the turn of the century, either through ignorance or a lack of regard for their own nation. In an 1897 column in the New York Sun, Yes, 1897. New York Times, we were there before you were born. In an 1897 column in the Sun, bestowed the name McKinley on the highest peak in North America because the colonists then thought he had earned the honor. President Obama restored one of the many Alaskan designations for the mountain. It's now called Denali, which isn't a name. I'm also telling you a lot about names and what I think of them. It means only the tall one. That's not a name. He did that in 2015, despite Ohio's objections. President Trump promised to change the name of the mountain back, and he didn't do it. So that's kind of my single issue. I'll vote for anybody this time around who promises me they'll put the president's name back on the mountain where it belongs, especially since the main complaint seems to be that he never visited Alaska. Well, sorry, that whole taking two slugs in the chest and dying, plus the fact that American presidents didn't leave the United States back in those days, it would have been too dangerous, and there wouldn't have been much communication. It would have been impossible to run the government. Keep in mind, he didn't have a vice president either for the last two years of his presidency. At the time, though, Mr. Mary and I agreed that whatever we might think, 
The 25th president was humble and probably would have shrugged at losing the honor of having the mountain named after him. I often mention on the History Author Show, and I mention it here on Derek's show, that that dead people always seem to agree with anybody who's speaking. And I certainly try not to be that way. And I know that William McKinley is in a better place. He certainly wouldn't be worried about having his name on schools. The guy rejected getting the Congressional Medal of Honor for his heroics at Antietam. But one thing, McKinley, as I wrote, might not mind the school being renamed after him either, or even the lies being told about his life and the modern press omitting mention of accomplishments, or for that matter, his assassination from stories on this effort to rename the school. McKinley, though, is more than a man now. He's a martyred president and a symbol of American greatness. As such, he deserves a defense before his name is swept into the dustbin where it doesn't belong. The shaping of reality is something that I focus on this week, and I want to leave you with how polls are often used not to reflect news, but to make it, especially to make that headline, which is what most people read. Derek has this saying that I really like. He says, if you control the unit of measurement, you control everything. A headline caught my eye this morning from Insider NJ. That headline is FDU, which is Fairleigh Dickinson University. FDU poll, colon. Sexism drives support for Trump in GOP primary. Okay. So you dig into this after a bunch of paragraphs on how horrible Trump supporters are, and they quote Dan Casino, a professor of government and politics at FDU and the director of the poll. Quote, Trump has a lock on the most sexist Republicans. If the less sexist Republicans were able to coalesce around one candidate, they'd be able to mount the challenge. But there's no sign of that happening yet. The story says Republicans who are higher in sexism are much more likely to say that they are supporting Trump in their state's Republican primary contest. So we dig into the metrics, which we're really not invited to do. They bury him down. They don't write this real well. They don't want us thinking about it. If you give other people the power to declare you're a racist or a sexist and decide what the unit of measure is, (laughs) what the parameters are, why wouldn't they say it about people they already don't like? So this is what the story says. The sexism measure results from three different questions linked to what scholars, ooh, scholars, they're like experts. Ooh, they're they're even better than experts, I guess. Not named, don't know who they are, but okay. Scholars refer to as hostile sexism. That's in quotes. Okay. None of the things here are hostile, by the way. These things are just thoughts that occur in somebody else's mind that are wrong think, to borrow from Orwell. The questions ask if women fail to appreciate what men do for them. Okay, now flip that around. You think we would be having a disparaging name for women if they said men don't appreciate what they do for them? Doesn't everybody deserve to be appreciated? Doesn't everybody think that the person they're married to or that the other sex or that the world maybe in this victimized culture doesn't appreciate them? Not to mention this is a staple of every single sitcom plot in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, or a staple of them. How many times did you see this? It was, Lucy, I'm home. And then Lucy would say, Ricky, you don't appreciate all the work I have to do all day around the house. And then Ricky and Fred would team up. They would cook dinner and do all the stuff with little Ricky. And Ethel and Lucy would go to work. That's when they go to the chocolate factory. You've all seen that. And they both realize, well, the other sex doesn't have everything as easy as I thought. Here, that makes you a sexist, having that opinion. The second thing is it asked if women seek to gain power by controlling men. It's another really weird thing to me. Do we not hear all the time that men need to be brought under control? What's all the talk about toxic masculinity? What's with all of these movies where no man can ever beat a woman in any kind of contest or be better than a woman in anything? They always have to be led by the nose. That seems like that's pretty controlling to me. Of course it's there. Again, flip it around. If men seek to gain power by controlling women, ask that question. See what you will get. And finally, if most women interpret innocent remarks or acts as being sexist. Now, that one really troubles me as somebody that you've gotten to know if you've been listening this week that's trying to get into people's minds, make them think a little bit differently. Sexist. You ask a man and a woman what that means. You ask any two people how they are defining that. We don't agree on that. And if a man thinks a remark is innocent, a woman might think it's not innocent, and vice versa. Only by asking that and discussing with people can you learn what somebody might think isn't innocent. I try to be extremely conscious of this, but I can only control myself. This is why in the law we have this thing called intent. 
If you have possession of drugs with the intent to distribute, you're punished differently than somebody who just has it for personal use. Premeditated murder is different from murder that's considered to be in a moment of passion, or you accidentally kill somebody. Matthew Broderick, you all know the actor. He killed two women. He killed an Irish woman and her grandmother in Ireland in a car accident, and he's still out there making movies, isn't he? He's still out there rooting for the New York Mets, which is probably punishment enough. But in any case, his actions resulted in the death of two people. But because he didn't go out and intentionally kill them, he was never held responsible for that in a criminal way, the way he would have been if he went and gunned the two of them down. Intent has a meaning. Intent is important in law. And unless we talk to each other, we can't know what is going to offend an individual person or what they will find offensive. But we don't get to give it a blanket definition and then weaponize that definition to define all of our foes. We don't, but it seems some people do have that power because they've seized it for themselves. And the fact that you're using that word sexist, which is so ill-defined, so ephemeral, that's like trying to nail jello to a wall. It means whatever the person reading it thinks it means. I interviewed an author, Claude A. Clegg, about his book, The Black President on President Obama. You can find this at the History Author Show. I talked with him about how similar the two slogans were between President Obama and President Trump and about those 10 million people who switched from President Obama to President Trump between those two elections. And I said, you had hope and change. Hope means whatever you want it to mean. Change, well, it could be change to the good. Rush always asked, change to what? And then you had President Trump with make America great again. And of course, anybody who was down in their luck was having a tough time would think, yeah, man, it was great when I was young. I was pulling in more money. I didn't get tired so often. The country was just better. Christmas time, nobody treated you like saying Merry Christmas was saying F you like they do today. We could really live our lives. We were happier. Everyone's nostalgic for the past. Brilliant slogan. They both were. Of course, then you had other people saying, That change means to communism for Obama, and yet people saying to President Trump, a lot more people, he means slavery, as if he'd ever said any such thing. You think it was great back in slave times? He could just as easily have been talking about, let's say, President Clinton's presidency. Did you know he also used the term, make America great again, also used that phrase? It was not unique to President Trump. He just, I'll tell you, I do it the best. My slogan, it's perfect, really. I made it ideal. It's wonderful. I never actually tried a Trump before. I used to do voices on the Rush Limbaugh television show. Never had reason to try for Mr. Trump after Rush lost his hearing. Things like impressions became pointless in the show. This story also says among Republicans, men and women score about equally on the sexism measure. And then they add this line out of left field, as do those who go to church more or less frequently. So among Republicans, men and women score about equally on the sexism measure. So there are sexist women. And yet when we see this headline, sexism drives support for Trump in GOP primary, do you think anybody on the face of the earth possibly thinks that that means women? They don't mean sexism at all. They're using that word. They're misusing it deliberately because they know just putting up there something like, I don't know, traditional values, maybe people who are not looking to be offended all the time, people who understand that there may be somebody who says something that they think is sexist, that to them isn't sexist. No, none of those would be good headlines. But you get this, and I bet you, you will see it all over the place, even without those quotes that at least this insider NJ put in there, breaking down the questions in the poll. But nope, you throw it out there, just say sexism is driving Trump in the GOP primary. And who do you think of when you hear sexist? You think of whatever it is that's in the back of your mind, just like with Hope and Change, just like with Make America Great Again. You hear sexism. You think of guys like Schneider and One Day at a Time praying on Bonnie Franklin. I don't I don't know what the heck Schneider ever, the late Pat Harrington. We just lost Pat Harrington. I don't know what the heck he saw in her, but that's what you're meant to think. You're meant to be played on. And I guess that's a little bit of my curse that I can see what's going on behind these words. I can see how these writers use, misuse, abuse, mold, and twist the language to try to gain a little bit of advantage. If Republicans care about the country, they better get more comfortable with calling this kind of thing out and do a better job of fighting it. Well, it is Friday, and the sooner I wrap up, the sooner you all can start your weekends. Thanks again to Derek for letting me pilot the ship this week and to all of you 
Without you, there would not be a show and I would not be here. I know I wasn't what you tuned in for on Monday. Thank you so much for giving me a chance and for sticking around. If you'd like to keep the connection going, please feel free to follow me on social media, connect with me on LinkedIn, tweet me at History Dean on Twitter, which I refuse to call X. See who's going to complain about people changing their names next week. Maybe Derek will get that in. You can find me at the History Alter Show at historyalter.com and all major podcasting outlets. Plus, you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube for those documentary-style interviews I do. And you can read me in the New York Sun. Subscribe there for just a penny a day, if you so choose. If you'd like some smart, interesting, uplifting stories, that's what we try to bring you at the New York Sun. You can also get that wonderful New York Sun mug that your kitchen cabinet is just crying out for. When you subscribe for a penny a day, you get that if you use the URL nysun.com slash mug and also enter to win that autographed copy of Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's Never Give an Inch Fighting for the America I Love. Do that at nysun.com slash book. And let me tell you, I'm really hoping it's one of Derek's listeners who wins that book because that'd be a really nice way to bind the two audiences together. And it'll show that I achieved my job this week, which was to connect with all of you, make your lives a little bit better. So please do, if you haven't yet, go to mysun.com slash book. Remember to support this show at derekhunter.locals.com and patreon.com slash Podcast. I do so appreciate the opportunity to speak with all of you this week, get to know you a little bit through social media and your comments. Let Derek know if you'd like to have me back and welcome him back because he'll be glad to hear that. The microphone can be lonely sometimes. Let Derek know how much it means to all of you to hear him again every day downloaded into your iPhone or listening device. He will really appreciate it. Let me tell you, when you work for radio's greatest of all time, And that's what it said on Russia's death certificate, which is absolutely awesome. It's easy to criticize how other people do this, find their shortcomings. I do so enjoy listening to Derek. And now I feel a little more genuine in my opinions, having faced the elephant for a full week with all of you. I enjoyed this so much. I hope there is indeed a next time. I will be missing all of you until there is. Until then, look to the sun. You will find me there. Have a great weekend, everybody. Now, you boys just stay here and watch the car. There might be some vandals around them want to steal something. So you boys just stay here and keep your hands on the car.